Welcome to the Hope Church Memphis podcast. To learn more about Hope, including our worship opportunities, visit HopeChurchMemphis.com. Today's message comes from digital pastor Jessica Morris. This weekend we're launching our new series we're calling Tables, Conversations That Lead to Change. And we're gonna spend the next several weeks discussing various conversations that Jesus had all throughout the Gospels. Some of those conversations center around a table, some of those conversations center around a meal, but all of them involve some sort of change. It's a conversation that led to change. But, but here's an interesting piece I think that gets overlooked, especially when we are highlighting the conversations that Jesus had all throughout his ministry. The preparation process. The preparation process. What Jesus does before he enters into a conversation. What Jesus does before he enters into a healing or a significant miracle of some sort. And this is interesting to me because I feel like we tend to talk a whole lot about Jesus' teachings, Jesus' miracles, Jesus' parables and healings. We talk a lot about that. All of those things that happened all throughout his ministry. But we tend to forget the preparation process. The time Jesus took to prepare the table, so to speak. And this is what I want us to highlight today. I want us to look at how Jesus prepared for these conversations he encountered, the conversations, many of which that we're gonna be highlighting over the next several weeks. And then I want us to look at one of the first conversations that Jesus has in the Gospel of Mark. In our passage, we're gonna be reminded of two things, just kind of themes you can be paying attention as we read. Two very simple things, but I actually think it's two things that are quite difficult to live by. Intentionality, and initiation, intentionality and initiation. In our passage, we will see Jesus being intentional and then initiating transformation, initiating change in relationship from that intentionality. Look at our passage starting in in Mark 1, verse 35. Before daybreak the next morning, Jesus got up and went out to an isolated place to pray. Later, Simon and the others went out to find him. When they found him, they said, everyone is looking for you. But Jesus replied, we must go on to the other towns as well, and I will preach to them too. That is why I came. So he traveled throughout the region of Galilee, preaching in the synagogues and casting out demons. A man with leprosy came and knelt in front of Jesus, begging to be healed. He said, if you are willing, you can heal me and make me clean. Moved with compassion, Jesus reached out and touched him. I am willing, he said, be healed. Instantly, the leprosy disappeared and the man was healed. The very, very first thing we see Jesus doing in this passage, the very first thing we see Jesus doing is getting away. We see Jesus spending time alone, spending time in prayer. Essentially, we see Jesus intentionally disconnecting in order to connect disconnecting in order to connect. Jesus disconnects from his work. Jesus disconnects from his ministry. Jesus disconnects from his family and his friends, and he gets alone in order to intentionally connect with God through prayer. And the reason I say disconnect in order to connect, because I'm not talking about checking out after a long day at work. I'm not talking about like a mindless Netflix binge I'm talking about intentional time disconnecting from the clutter, disconnecting from the chaos, 
disconnecting from the busyness of life so that we can connect with God. This, this past week, um, we had family in town, which was really, really exciting. Uh, Destiny and Rocky came in town for the Hope Women's Market. And one of the nights, we were so fortunate and blessed to get to have everybody come over to our house for dinner. And so I did what any normal person would do. The night before, actually a few hours before, I went manic on cleaning, uh, obsessing over the dinner and the groceries and if we needed appetizers to go with the meal and then what that would look like. Laundry. I decided now is the time to put away two weeks worth of laundry just about two hours before these people come over. I eventually just gave up, shoved it all in a basket and hid it upstairs. Does anybody else do stuff like that? I organized our junk counter. Does anybody have a junk counter? We have a counter in our kitchen, all the stuff goes to. I went manic on all the silliest things and all of that happened before anybody even stepped foot in our home. There is a lot of work and preparation that happens before anyone even arrives into our houses to have dinner or to have a meal together. And all of that work, that setting of the table, directly impacts what will follow. So we, uh, we have this table over here that I just uh, so love, but we have this table over here. And every week, I am really excited about this, we're gonna have a table that is representative of the meal and of the conversation that we're gonna be highlighting. Today's table is empty because we're talking about what it looks like to prepare the table and what that looks like for us individually. Uh, and what that looks like for you individually. What does that look like for you? How do you set the table? I personally have a, um, I'm kind of obsessed with this chair. If it goes missing, don't tell Craig Strickland. Uh, I am obsessed with this table. I saw Craig Strickland at the Hope Women's Market. And I ran into him, I saw this table, I knew it was the perfect table for us this, this weekend. This table was actually built in like the 1800s, which is pretty crazy. Uh, Craig got it from like France or Belgium or something really incredible. Uh, he got this table, when he got it, the legs, which are like one of the key pieces of this whole table, were completely broken. And he ended up restoring this whole table and renewing it. I think it's really quite beautiful. And it feels very um, symbolic of my own faith journey. But I love this old rustic table because it makes me think, how do you set that table? It's open. What does that look like when guests come over? What does that look like for you personally? Now, I have two people in my life who are experts, like experts at setting the table and preparing the table. My mother and my father-in-law, Eli Morris. Sorry, Eli, you didn't know I was about to give you a shout out today. <laughs> my mother and my father-in-law, Eli Morris. Now, my mom, I grew up where there was like a seasonally themed decoration all over the table. She is actually currently working on knitting a Halloween a table runner. So she sews, she does all the things that I, I cannot do, but she's sewing a Halloween table runner for the next time somebody maybe comes over to have dinner at her house. That's kind of how I grew up. It was an event. There was candles, there'd be candles all over this table. There'd be pumpkins, even though it's just barely October. There'd be pumpkins all over this table. It would be themed for that. Now, Eli, on the other hand, uh, pre-kids, Tommy and I had this tradition where we'd go over to, to Patty and Eli's house and Eli would, would cook us an amazing dinner. And when we came over, very meticulously, Eli had set the table in his very own casual way. He had appetizers waiting for us in the, in this, in the counter by the kitchen. 
He had a salad ready. Usually the grill was going and we would end up hanging out around the grill having a conversation. And then there'd be a few TV trays waiting for us in the living room where we would have dinner and go into the living room and sit and eat around the TV trays. Two very different ways of setting the table. Very, very different ways of setting the table. The way in which we prepare the table will be different for all of us, and that's kind of the point. My mom and her extravagant themed table runners is one way, and Eli's casual community around an appetizer and TV tray is another. Now, spiritually speaking though, what does it mean to prepare the table through intentional time alone? And why does that even matter? Three reasons. Intentional time alone, it sets the agenda, it shifts the narrative, and it sees the bigger picture. We're gonna walk through these in just a second, so I don't feel like you have to write every single thing down. But it sets the agenda, it shifts the narrative, and it sees the bigger picture. It sets the agenda. Look, look again at verse 35 through 38. In the early morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went away to a secluded place and was praying there. Simon and his companions searched for him. They found him and said to him, everyone is looking for you, he said to them. Let us go somewhere else to the towns nearby so that I may preach there also, for that is why, that is what I came for. Jesus's time alone sets the agenda. And here's what I so love about this passage is that Jesus gets away, he's trying to be intentional in spending time alone in prayer, and what happens? He's interrupted. Moms, dads, that sounded all familiar. That's like my daily life. But he's intentional about it. He's getting time alone. He gets interrupted. His disciples find him. They need him. They want him. They have an agenda for him, an agenda for Jesus and what the plan should be. But Jesus' response, I so love this. Jesus' response is, no, no. No, it's time for us to actually go somewhere else. It's time for us to go somewhere else. Jesus' agenda is shaped out of his time alone. See, it is in time alone that it is God, not people, who set the pace for the day. The disciples had a plan. The disciples had a vision for Jesus, but because of Jesus' time alone, time spent connecting with God, he was able to distinguish their agenda versus God's agenda. Their plan versus God's plan. Their will versus God's will. Jesus's preparation is perpetually born out of a place of solitude. I'm gonna say that again because I think it's really important. Jesus's preparation for ministry, Jesus's preparation for the day, Jesus's preparation for healings and miracles, Jesus's preparation is perpetually born out of a place of solitude. Time and time again, we see Jesus getting away, going off by himself. There are times when even they're in the middle of the hustle and bustle and the disciples don't even know where he is. They're like, where'd Jesus go? We can't find him anywhere. And he's off by himself somewhere alone. See, Jesus disconnects in order to connect. Listen to the simplicity of, of this passage in, in Luke 5. Yet the news about him spread all the more, so the crowds of people came to hear him, hustle and bustle, to be healed of their sicknesses, lots of things going on. It's verse 16, but Jesus, in the hustle and bustle, but Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. If anyone, if anyone gets chaos, if anyone gets busyness, if anyone gets being pulled in a million different directions, it's Jesus. 
and the model he offers us on how to combat the busyness and the chaos so many of us are experiencing is not, it's not one where we move faster. It's not one where we get really great at making a to-do list. And it's not even one where we get better at planning or, or time management, no. The model Jesus offers us is one of resistance in the form of rest. Resistance in the form of rest, in the form of getting away, in the form of praying, in the form of being present with God. This coming Thursday, I am, I'm really excited. Um, we're gonna be releasing on Green Chair Conversations a conversation that I had with Jonathan Torres uh, from Memphis Athletic Ministries. And in this clip that I'm gonna show you, uh, he discusses really transparently his perspective on rest and alone time. Torres had been in ministry for 15 plus years. He's kind of in the trenches, so to speak, on, on this. And he really talks transparently about how he does this, how his family does this, and how practically speaking uh, they, they live this out. Listen, listen to what Torres says in this clip. So I think the first thing is taking inventory of where you are and, uh, and being able to, to know how you're feeling, what you're doing. Uh, from there, I think it's a matter of, well then, I need to f reconnect and find joy. Hmm. Um, I think one of the things that people mess up often is the fact that they see rest as just, again, just I'm just gonna go to be asleep or I'm gonna binge Netflix. watch some Netflix. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm just gonna binge out on something and that's not rest. Mm -hmm. um, the Lord, uh, when he rested on after creating all of creation, um, he didn't just rest in the sense of he went to sleep, like he admired his work and he took joy in it and there was a beauty and uh, there was delight. And so I think a lot of our rest needs to be in delight. Now, tell me, what does that look like for you practically? I think it, there's a bunch of different things uh, that, I, that I feel like all of us um, can, can figure out uh, what we need to do. But it looks so different for each individual person. Um, for me, it is a, a lot of community. I am an extrovert to the like billionth degree. <laughs> so I don't actually do very well in being alone. Okay. Um, uh, so I know that uh, when I look at scriptures, I do need to be alone. Yes. Um, I look at Jesus' life and there's realities where he is spending time alone with the Father and he's going off and the disciples can't even find him. They're like, where's Jesus? And he's hanging out with the Lord. Um, <laughs> so, so there's some beauties in that. And I, and I know that if Jesus needed it, how much more do I need it? Uh, I know that to be true, but I struggle with being alone. That one's a hard one for me, but I do need to find space to do that. Mm -hmm. So um, I have to force myself. I got to shut the phone off. I've got I've to do a whole lot of work before I even get to that alone time with the Lord. So uh, that's something I do. Uh, it's not as often as it should be done, bro, only, <laughs> but uh, it is something that's needed. Uh, but for me, community is a big one. Um, and it is, again, starts with my wife and my family, but I've got a community of believers, of um, Jesus-loving friends who are, uh, who are deep in my life. Mm. Um, and when I say deep, I mean like they know the dirtiest sides of my heart and brain <laughs> and mind. And, um, and they see, they see the broken side of me and they still love me. Mm. Um, and so that's a, that's a big part of what it means for me is to be able to be in community with them. Uh, one of the things that we've done for years, uh, me and my wife now, I think it's eight years now that we've been doing this, um, it's called Taco Night. And we literally just make a ton of food 
Uh, we have tacos. I fry the shells. My wife makes the meat uh, with rice and beans and all the stuff. And so, like, we make this whole big spread of tacos, and we just invite anyone and everyone who wants to come to come eat. Um, and there's no agenda. There's no anything. We're just eating and hanging out. Some days it's literally me, my family, and one other person that shows up. They get all the food that they want, <laughs> and they get all the attention they want, yeah. right? Y'all like how I coordinated my outfit? I probably should have thought through that one before I threw the sweater on. <laughs> That's my bad. I have to just own that. Uh, I do encourage you guys, though, to, to check out this, uh, this, this whole conversation on Thursday. Torres has so much wisdom and advice um, on, on what he does. We release it Thursday at 8 a.m. You can check our Facebook and YouTube pages for that. But here's the reason I showed you that clip. Here's why I love it. Um, three things, because really, Torres gave us a really good perspective, and I loved this. He, he said, seeing rest and alone time as a delight, as a joy. I think a lot of us can feel like it's a task, it's something that we have to do, it's something that we need to do, um, and he kind of challenged my perspective on that, to see it as a joy and a delight. He also normalized the struggle of this. I love how he talked about being an extrovert and how this is like really hard for him and it takes a whole lot of work before he ever can be alone and be quiet with God. Now I'm an introvert so I kind of have the opposite problem where I'm like, I'll take all the alone time that I can get. But he normalized the struggle that we will, we will all be facing and I feel like a lot of us do. And then he reiterated how different it is for each of us how it will look different, how we set this table, how we have alone time, how we have time with God, what that will look like. It will be different for each of us. And honestly, for me, it's as simple as doing this in your own way, in your own style. Do you like to write? Journal your prayers. Do you like to sing? Sing your prayers. Do you like to draw or create? Draw or create your prayers. For me, the important piece is setting aside time to intentionally connect with God, to intentionally connect with God. So time alone not only sets the agenda, but it also shifts the narrative. It shifts the narrative. Okay, so I have a confession. I am uh, a glutton for punishment and I'm back in school. Like, what am I doing with my life? Uh, but I'm back in school and I, am, I actually really love what I'm doing. I'm actually uh, pursuing a certification in spiritual direction which is essentially to helping people navigate where God is calling them and directing them to go. And one of the things that's required in this course that I'm currently taking is called Centering Prayer. And Centering Prayer, I have to practice, six days a week for 20 minutes is where you essentially are quiet for 20 minutes. Like your brain is quiet, you're, like, you're just quiet for 20 minutes. That is a hard thing to practice, a hard thing to practice. And the whole purpose of it is to be releasing the things that are consuming your mind, releasing the worries, releasing the fears, releasing all of that. And so I, I encourage you, if that's too intimidating for you, I encourage you maybe take one to two days just to set aside time to draw or write or create or be intentional with God. Or if this is something that's pretty familiar with you, why don't you practice something like centering prayer? Why don't you push and challenge yourself a little bit this week? But did you hear how zeroed in Jesus was on his mission and on the narrative? Did you hear how, look, look at verse 37. But when they found him, they said, everybody's looking for you. But Jesus replied, we must go on to the other towns as well, and I will preach to them too. That is why I came. I love that. That is why I came. For Jesus, the narrative was about others. 
It was about the cross, not whatever chaos or decision was happening right in front of them. The disciples wanted to stay. They wanted Jesus to stay. They wanted to remain in their hometown. They wanted to stay safe and comfortable in the space that they were living. But Jesus knew that the narrative was wider and deeper than that. He knew it was wider and deeper than that. He knew that it would involve change, hardship, fights with religious leaders, some painful heartache, a gruesome crucifixion, and a whole lot of transformation and changed lives along the way. But they had to get out of their comfort zone. They had to get out. The narrative was wider and deeper than their secure, safe situation. And time alone sees the bigger picture. It sees the bigger picture. See, getting away, intentionally disconnecting in order to connect with God through prayer was not only necessary in Jesus's life, but it was a precursor to experiencing the extraordinary. There is a link all throughout the gospels of Jesus getting away, getting alone, followed by some sort of extraordinary work, some sort of miracle that happens. All throughout his ministry, and especially in our passage, we see Jesus's intentionality in this. This is countercultural learning to stop and to be still when life is fast and demanding and chaotic. Jesus models for us to stop, to rest. But we also see something else in our passage. We see Jesus initiating transformation through proximity with people. Initiating transformation through proximity with people. Birthed out of Jesus's intentionality with prayer and rest and alone time, we then see Jesus initiating transformative relationships through proximity, meaning Jesus gets close. He gets intimate and proximate with people and that proximity inspires transformation. Look at the very end of our, our passage. Starting at verse 40, a man with leprosy came and knelt in front of Jesus, begging to be healed. If you are willing, you can heal, heal me and make me clean. He said, moved with compassion, Jesus reached out, touched him. I am willing, he said, be healed. Instantly, the leprosy disappeared and the man was healed. One of my favorite pieces of furniture in my home is like the least fancy piece, I think, in, in my entire home, um, but it's a dining room table that we have. Uh, back in the day, I, I used to do some woodworking. I barely can claim that because I'm standing up here next to a table that is like legitimate woodworking. Um, but I used to do a little bit, and uh, they're showing a picture of this table in my dining room. Uh, back in the day, Tommy knew, when we were newlyweds, he knew I really wanted to make a table out of an old door. It was kind of this inspiration that I had. And so for an anniversary gift, he said, let's go to a flea market. We're gonna pick out the door together, and then we can make this table. And so we've made this table and uh, made a, out of an old door. And it's in the very middle of our, kind of the central piece of our house. And since then, this table has been through quite a bit of change. Um, I've changed the legs on the table, I've stained the table, I've stripped the table, I've sanded the table, I ended up adding glass on the table, which was like probably the most expensive part. Not to mention this table has transformed with our family over the years. We've had it for quite a, quite a while. There's dinks on it, there's scratches all over it. Um, there's like oatmeal and kids' food like caked onto it in ways that like, I don't know how, it's like glue, like it's never coming off. There will always be oatmeal on this table. There's paint from previous art projects. It is not a fancy table. If you came to my house, you'd be like, why is this your dining room table? But I love it, I love it. 
and I can't imagine our house without it. Because this table reminds me that proximity with people isn't meant to be clean. Proximity with people isn't meant to be clean and pretty and perfectly protected from the scratches of life. In fact, it's quite the opposite. Proximity with people might be messy, could cause change, but it will be worth it. Did you catch how proximate Jesus gets with a man with leprosy? Verse 41, moved with compassion, Jesus reached out. Jesus touched him, I am willing, he said, be healed. Jesus physically reaches out. Jesus physically touches this man. He physically sees this man, hears this man, and he heals him and initiates transformation in his life. Over and over, all throughout the Gospels, we hear Jesus saying this phrase over and over again. He who has ears, let them hear. He who has eyes, let them see. And I've always been challenged by those words. In fact, it's, it's one of my prayers in my time alone with, with God. Lord, help me to have ears to hear and eyes to see the people you have laid before me. And so Jesus sees this man. Jesus hears this man. And I want eyes and ears like that, that notice the overlooked. See, Jesus noticed the unnoticed, touched the untouchable, and loved the unlovable. And ultimately, he dined with the disregarded. This proximity with people, and particularly people no one really noticed, no one really cared for, this proximity was the birthing ground for true transformation. Transformation that I might add almost always is complicated and messy and usually comes with a few dinks and scratches and oatmeal caked onto it. In fact, the, the leper that we just read about, uh, just, just a few verses later, he messes this whole thing up. Like he met, if you keep reading this passage, Jesus heals him, he tells him what to do, the leper doesn't do it, causes an uproar in the community, it makes a whole huge mess of things. And I can't help but think, how affirming is it? How affirming is it that Jesus still chooses this guy? That Jesus still touches this guy? That Jesus still engages with this guy? That Jesus still heals this guy, knowing exactly how it would play out, knowing exactly how messy and complicated it would be? And how affirming is it that Jesus does that to us? Jesus does that to us. So, so I have a difficult question for you all today. And that is how proximate are you with people? How proximate are you with people? And particularly, how proximate are you with people who are different than you? How proximate are you with people who look different, who voted different, who live different than you? How proximate are you with them? The kingdom of God is diverse and our relationships and conversations should be representative of that diversity. And here's my final challenge. Here's what I wanna leave you guys with today. Just two things. Intentionally disconnect. Try it this week. Intentionally disconnect and initiate a dialogue. Initiate a dialogue. Intentionally disconnect in order to connect. Delegate a few days this week. Put down the phone. Get away from the chaos. Maybe you just start with one day. Maybe you're pushing yourself in your trying, centering prayer, I don't know. But be intentional. And be intentional by praying through talking and listening to God. And initiate a dialogue, a conversation with someone who's different than you. And if no one comes to mind, maybe your prayer in, in your time alone is what I am praying, is oh God, give me the ears to hear and the eyes to see the people you will lay out before me today. So let us prepare this table in the next few weeks, let's prepare this table with intentionality and with initiation. 
And perhaps if uh, you're having a meal after church today or after listening uh, online, you may view the table you're eating around or view the table you're sitting at. You may view that table and that conversation as a newly sacred space. Amen? Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you that you're a God that was intentional, intentional in modeling with us things that are incredibly hard to live by in our culture. Our culture tells us move faster and faster and faster, get it done, get it done, go, go, go. But you're a God that told us the opposite, that said actually stop, be still, know that I am God. Help us, Lord, to be intentional in that. Help us to be intentional in being present and connecting with you. And Lord, help us to initiate a conversation Perhaps just bring somebody to our mind, somebody you know that we need to begin having a dialogue with, somebody we maybe need to begin having a conversation with. Give us your eyes, give us your ears, so that we may see who you have laid before us today. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Hope Church Memphis podcast. I'm Daniel Openheisen, Musical Worship Director at Hope. If you were encouraged by today's message, make sure to hit subscribe on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you stream your podcasts. To experience previous messages, videos, and our live worship experience, visit us online at HopeChurchMemphis.com and follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Again, thanks for listening to the Hope Church Memphis podcast.